Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, good friends. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving break. And now, welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. Well, for today's podcast, fasten your seatbelt. You're in for a wild ride as we look back on the Trump presidency and its aftermath with Jonathan Carl from ABC News, one of the White House political reporters who had the most direct access to Donald Trump himself. Jonathan's just published a new book called Tired of Winning, his third book about Donald Trump, and it is devastating. Based on his one-on-one interviews with Trump and his access to top Trump officials, Carl paints the picture of a White House that was out of control from day one. No direction, no policy, no purpose, except pleasing the one ignorant, inexperienced, pathological liar and megalomaniac in charge. And Carl leaves no doubt that Trump personally led the charge to overthrow the United States government on January 6th and thus remain in power even though he knew he had lost the election to Joe Biden. Believe me, you'll finish this book the same way I did, realizing that Trump's four years in the White House were even worse and more damaging than we thought and more determined than ever not to let him get close to the Oval Office again. Jonathan Carl, welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and Congratulations on your new book, the third book, Tired of Winning, the third, your third book on the Trump presidency. Jonathan, you're going to go down as the Boswell of Donald Trump, I think, right? <laughs> well, well, thank you for having me. Um, uh, you know, it's been informally called by some the Treason Trilogy. So, <laughs> Well, so, by the way, have you kept track? How many times have you had a one-on-one interview with Trump as president or post-presidency? Well, um, I had uh, I had several during his presidency and during the uh, the, the campaign in, in 2016. Only yeah. two uh, interviews with him uh, since he left the White House, but they both continued to keep giving. Um, they, they were truly remarkable interviews. Um, one of them in person, one of them over the phone. And as I go back and listen again, you know, more stuff pops out. Uh, that didn't didn't pop out the first time I I went through it. Well, um, I loved the book. Uh, great job. And one thing that struck me right from the beginning, kind of my one takeaway, where Donald Trump talks about, well, it's your title, "Tired of Winning," right? Is all about winning is everything for him, and losing is the worst thing that could possibly happen. You, you right? I mean, you talk about the ten words that sort of define who Donald Trump is. Yeah, he, he said it was an interview that he did with uh, an author, uh, biographer in 2014. So this is before uh, he was running for president. He said, uh, you, you, you can't lose because if you lose, people will think you're a loser and they won't follow you anymore. And, and, and that is basically, the, the, I think, explains everything about him. He believes that his entire life uh, is 
know, that his success has been predicated on the image he has created of being the ultimate winner. I mean, it's an image that he maintained even while he was going through six bankruptcies, uh, four of them <laughs> in the casino business. Uh, he still, um, you know, had to hold up that image of, of being the winner and, and was able to, you know, sell his name, uh, branding off his name. And then, you know, I, I think that he believes that if, I mean, I think this is kind of what initially led him down the, into the deep, deep, deep darkness after 2020 is his belief that if, he acknowledged that he had lost to Joe Biden, for God's sake. You know, the guy that was yeah. in his basement. <laughs> if he had lost to Joe Biden, then, you know, what What would that say about his image of, of, you know, as being the ultimate winner? And all those guys in the red hats would leave him. Yeah. But you, and you point out, however, at least politically, um, in fact, you call him the biggest loser in American politics. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely, and and there are a couple of different reasons for that. I mean, first, let's acknowledge he won, arguably the greatest upset victory in the history of American politics, Got it. right? Uh, absolutely, in, in 2016. Right. And uh, but since then, every election cycle, and I'm talking about the midterms. I'm talking about the general election in 2020. I'm talking about the runoff elections. In Georgia, I'm talking about special elections, off-year elections. Republicans, especially Republicans that were running in his name, uh, mm -hmm. either lost or vastly underperformed. Uh, and, and, and so that's reason one. But the other reason is he lost in 2020 uh, to, 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 to Joe Biden. And he lost, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a blowout election. It was surprisingly close in, 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 in many ways. I mean, it wasn't close on the popular vote, but it was, it was close in the electoral college, but he didn't just lose once he lost over and over and he kept on losing the, the dozens of lawsuits uh, that he lost, the, the efforts that he had to, to pressure Republicans in those key states to act in a way that would overturn or, or decertify uh, uh, Biden's victory in those states, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, especially where he, Arizona, where he really, you know, took, used the power of the presidency to try to pressure people like uh, the Michigan uh, state uh, uh, assembly and, and, and Senate leaders, the you know, Rusty Bowers in Arizona to try to get them to act. And it was an utter failure, Brad Raffensperger in Georgia, and it failed. He failed in his effort to get Congress to uh, vote to throw out uh, the, the contested states uh, in, in on January 6th. He failed in his effort to get his vice president to follow his orders. So he failed. Another way, he lost over and over and over and over again, finding a way uh, to lose a presidential election in, in ways that had never even been conceived of. So yes, the biggest loser in American politics. Do you think he knows that? He would never well, admit it, right? But do you think he knows it? I, I, I think that he's, I think he's blind to it. I think that, and, and look, th this is a question um, that gets to the heart of, of what Jack Smith is, is arguing. Jack Smith is making the case in the election interference case that Trump knew he lost and therefore, you know, yeah. was knowingly uh, breaking the law by, by trying to overturn it in all those ways I described. Uh, Liz Cheney made this case in the January 6th hearing. I, frankly, I'm not so sure about that. I, I, I think that the, you can say he certainly should have known uh, because mm -hmm. 
all the sane people around him told him that. Um, I think that he knew he lost in the immediate aftermath of the election. But I think that as he started chasing down these conspiracies and bringing in, you know, Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and, 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 and people that make the two of them look eminently sane, uh, <laughs> that, that, that he started to kind of lose his touch with reality on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I, I think it's, seems to me that he may actually totally believe some of the most unbelievable conspiracies that have been put forward. Here's something I don't understand. Maybe you can help me out. Given his record of losing all the things that you mentioned, I mean, Republicans like Democrats want to win. They go into, they go into an election to win. Winning is what it's all about, right? If they really want to win back the White House, win back the Senate, hold on to increase their margin in the House. Why do they stick with a man who is, as you describe him, the biggest loser in American politics? Well, I spent some time uh, drilling into two very specific uh, Republican figures who want to win and uh, have tried uh, to steer Trump, try to placate him and try to keep him on the team, but hoping that he would fade away. And that's Ronald McDaniel and, and Kevin McCarthy, uh, who both made uh, specific steps in the immediate aftermath of, of the Trump presidency in January of, of 2021 uh, to keep Trump on board. Obviously McCarthy's famous trip to Mar-a-Lago and right. Ronald McDaniel in that dramatic scene uh, that, that I described where, where Trump had threatened to leave the party. And, and McDaniel goes through some pretty extraordinary steps to keep him in the party. And the reason why I think they both knew that Trump was uh, a loser, um, but they also knew that he had a very strong hold on a, on a, on a significant segment of the party. And they believed that if, in McDaniel's case, if Trump actually left the Republican Party, that uh, Republicans would not win for a generation, and Trump wouldn't win either as a mm-hmm. third party. I mean, that would be going nowhere too. But that be- if those people left, then Republicans would be left without a majority. And I think that McCarthy made the calculation that if Republicans gonna, were going to win in the midterms coming up, um, that they needed to be sure that all those people that had, that, that Trump had brought out and look, Trump did bring out new voters. I mean, mm-hmm. the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the turnout, the, 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 you know, he always says, I got, you know, 75 <laughs> right. million votes. They told me I only need to, you know, to get 60 set, whatever he says, the numbers he, you know, yeah. he, he exceeded the goal that he was told. The problem is that Trump also brought out whole new voters on the democratic side yeah, as well, you know? yeah. <laughs> right. um, but, but, but I think that's why, you know, but, but they, they, mm-hmm. they know that they've got a problem on their hands, but they think that, that they've made a calculation, which I think that history will have to, um, you know, we'll, we'll have a judgment on. They made a calculation that by embracing him and keeping him in, they would keep his supporters in. And, and I think they kind of all hoped that he wouldn't run for president again. And voila, he did. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was also hope, by the way, that he wouldn't win the nomination. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, but here we are. Here we are. So, um, it, it, in our reading the book, Jonathan, I must tell you, look, you and I live this, right? We're in Washington, we're covering this all the time, and I thought I, I knew the Trump presidency, but 
after reading your book, I realized it was really worse than we thought in in, in many ways. Um, and I was re- particularly struck, just a few nuggets. Um, you're interviewing Donald Trump. This is shortly after January 6th. And you ask him about the crowd shan- chanting, hang Mike Pence. I'm sure you were not prepared for his response, right? Tell no, us about no. it. I mean, not at all. And And just to kind of set the scene for you, he you know, invited me down to do this interview at Mar-a-Lago and it was set for five o'clock in the afternoon, early evening. And we were seated in the middle of the main lobby at Mar-a-Lago and it's five o'clock, which is just as kind of the happy hour is starting. Uh, and every member has to walk. Everybody who comes into the club had to walk right by us. Um, he was like putting on a little bit of a show for his members. Mm-hmm. I think part of it was, see, I'm still really important. These guys are coming down to interview me. Maggie Haberman came. No, uh, I'm sorry. Um, Peter Baker did a, a similar interview the day after. Maggie had one sometime during that during that period, um, and he wanted he wanted to show that he was you know still important. I, I went into that interview um, knowing this is a very different kind of interview. It wasn't a, a live television interview. It was. I wanted to draw out of him. I didn't want to go there and argue with him and push him. And I wanted to kind of just let him reveal exactly who he is. And he really did in that moment. He said that, you know, I'm, you know, I asked him if he was worried about Pence. He's like, no, I wasn't worried. I know he was perfectly fine. And I said, but it was terrible. They were, they were chanting, hang Mike Pence. And I mean, I still can't get over what he said all this, time later he, he said well they were angry well they were angry and i, and I started pushing a little bit and, and he says i mean how can you take a fraudulent vote and pass it on i mean he was not there was there wasn't a whiff of criticism of these people calling mm-hmm. for the execution of his chosen vice president but but worse than that he was justifying the chance I mean, yeah. it was, which is why when I saw Cassidy Hutchinson testify um, before the January 6th committee and she, you know, recalls, um, you know, he, overhearing the conversations of, you know, revealing that, that, that Trump thought Pence deserved it. And Cassidy had not heard my interview and she, had, she heard the exact same thing I did. But this, in this case, it was from Meadows. Yeah. Um, in the White House. Yeah. In the White House on January 6th, on January 6th, yes. It, it gets to the question of loyalty, right? I guess he really felt that Mike, Mike Pence betrayed him. But I, I, I think of, and you talk a lot about the people who were loyal to Donald Trump that he turned on, right? I mean, just off the top of my head, Bill Barr, Jeff Sessions, right? Mike Cohen, go down, Chris Christie, Omarosa, Cassidy Hutchinson. Is he loyal to anybody? Uh, I, I can't find a single soul that he's loyal to, with the possible exception of, of Ivanka. Um, yeah, I mean, I was going to say maybe outside of family members, yeah, right? Yeah, um, he's left, and, and this kind of gets at the biggest loser notion too. Maybe, maybe it's a third way to look at that: is the wreckage that he has left uh, behind. Everybody who has come in contact with him, and it includes the people that stood up to him and opposed him especially, I mean, it's Republicans uh, who have mm-hmm. had their careers destroyed. Um, you know, you could just look at somebody like Liz Cheney, who was on a 
trajectory to be Speaker of the House, quite possibly, and ended up not able to win a Republican primary in Wyoming for a House seat. Um, people like uh, Jeff Flake and Bob Corker earlier on, who uh, decided both decided not to run because they would have, you know, al- almost certainly been challenged. Uh, people like Peter Meyer, who voted to impeach him, and saw his, uh, you know, very promising House career uh, destroyed. Um, but but also the people who have been close to him, who ended up in prison, saddled with legal bills, uh, reputations destroyed. Uh, you know, starting starting with Michael Cohen and 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 going on, um, people who 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 served him and uh, had their had their lives utterly uh, turned upside down, and he's loyal to none of them, um, none of them, and, and and he has no sense of empathy I could that I could discern uh, for any of them. It seems that. Um from your book and other uh, reporting that I've done, right, that the people who are the most damning comments about Donald Trump come from those who were closest to him. You you have one uh, I can't resist reading. You don't identify him other than a person who is at a high level in the Trump White House, right? Um, and just for the sake of our listeners, here is here is his quote from your book, quote, He, speaking of Donald Trump, he lacks any shred of human decency, humility, or caring. He is morally bankrupt, breathtakingly dishonest, lethally incompetent, and stunningly ignorant of virtually anything related to governing, history, geography, human events, or world affairs. He is a traitor and a malignancy in our nation and represents a clear and present danger to our democracy and the rule of law. Jonathan Carl, who said that? Well, I'll tell you who said it. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to give you the name because I, I can't. <laughs> um, but, um, uh, this, this is, first of all, an individual that served at a very high level in the Trump White House for more than a year. That, that, I, I don't want to give the exact time okay. because then we could, like, yeah. we could triangulate this. Um, yeah. But more than a year. And somebody at, at this is, you know, remember when Anonymous was revealed to be Miles Taylor, who worked over right. at Homeland Security. This is somebody with at, 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 a, at a much more senior level who had significantly more contact day to day with Donald Trump. So this is this is a top um, Trump administration, Trump White House official. And it's not somebody who has already been out there publicly condemning him. So, you know, we, we've had people that have come out and said right. harsh things publicly, not quite like that, uh, but it's not one of them. So it's not a usual suspect. You won't find this person on a list of uh, never Trumpers. Um, this is somebody who served uh, his time in that White House, uh, left and basically has never returned to politics. Um, and I, I, you know, he didn't, the way that quote came together is, I talked to this person in the course of interviewing, you know, everybody I could that served in the Trump White House and was around him in Mar-a-Lago in Bedminster after he left. I interviewed this person and I'd done a couple of interviews. And in one of the last follow-ups, uh, the, uh, the classified documents, uh, details had been revealed. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this person said that, that he was so upset 
that he went to his computer, opened up the laptop and just started typing a note to himself. And I asked, oh, can I see that note? And that's the note that this person oh my God. composed um, in real time in reaction to seeing how, how Donald Trump treated the nation's, you know, some of the nation's most sensitive secrets. Hmm. Uh, I mentioned uh, that I was stunned, uh, by, well, first of all, by that quote, but many times in your book by things that happened that I didn't know about, uh, hadn't heard before, reported before. One of them, again, Michael Flynn, right, who was thrown out, comes back in, uh, suggesting to Trump that they, the military could declare martial law. And uh, Flynn was actually pushing that. You point out he got a lot of pushback from the Pentagon. Tell us about it. Yeah, Flynn, Flynn made those comments in an interview on Newsmax, and it was widely condemned, but it was especially – it set off alarm bells throughout the Pentagon because he was a not so recent – you know, a recently retired yeah. three-star yeah. general, the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency uh, during the Obama administration. I mean this is a serious guy. His brother, uh, you know, a, 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 a four-star general in, in the uh, – currently serving in the Army. So there was real concern when that – when that came out inside the Pentagon. So the top leaders of the army, uh, the, the secretary of the army, uh, um, uh, McCarthy, um, and the, and, and, and the chief and the army chief of staff, uh, both put out a joint statement and it was a very simple statement that said that the U S military has no role in determining the outcome of, of, of an election. Of, mm -hmm. of, of, of an election, which is a very basic thing. In other words, we are nonpartisan, we are nonpolitical, and we don't get involved in any contesting. It, it was a direct answer. It didn't mention Michael Flynn, but the reason they put it out was because Flynn had just said that. Seemed highly non-controversial, you know? Yeah. We don't get involved in this stuff. We, you know, we, we, we stay in our lane. Well, what, what I learned and, and we have the documentary evidence on this, is that Trump flipped out about it so much that he dispatched his uh, man, Johnny McEntee, who was the director of, uh, the, pres the, uh, of the presidential personnel office, his former ba you know, bag man. I mean, I, I, guess, I guess bag man might not be the right term. A, bo a, a body, body man. man. Body he, man. Yeah. Maybe bag man too, I don't know. But he, <laughs> he bags. Um, and... Uh, and in the last year became his, his enforcer over at presidential personnel. He reached out to the acting secretary of defense um, with a very firm admonishment that those two were never to do that again. And what, what is, what I found uh, thanks to um, some, you know, the, the, the uh, January 6th committee's efforts to unseal some of the presidential records from the administration is that McEntee wrote Trump a note back in, in Sharpie, um, telling him that Miller, meaning the acting defense secretary, had spoken to both of them and said they are never to do it again. And if they do, they will be, they will be immediately fired. So the message from the White House was, if you ever dare suggest that the military <laughs> will stay out of a presidential election, you are going to be fired. <laughs> and, and, and furthermore, I should just one more point on this. The, um, uh, the acting defense secretary did call the army chief of staff 
uh, I'm sorry, the Army Secretary. I don't know if, if a similar call went to the Chief of Staff, but I know the call went to the Army Secretary thanks to sworn testimony um, uh, to, to, to relay this message, even as he was on you know a long trip, uh, I, I believe, and it's, it's in the book, I believe he's, he, was, he was either heading to or coming back from Asia. So the guy's like, I knew this was an urgent matter because the Defense Secretary is calling me from the plane. <laughs> <laughs> telling me, you know, never to put out such a statement again if I want to keep my job. Unbelievable. Yeah. So looking back, uh, you've done it here in the book. You also look ahead a little bit. I'll take a, we need to take a quick break here, Jonathan, when we come back. Uh, talk to you about what might lie ahead with Donald Trump, given the path that he's pursuing at this moment. Uh, hold on. We'll be right back here on the Bill Press Pod. Today's podcast brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, L-I-U-N-A. Good members of LIUNA, over half a million strong. They're the backbone of the labor labor unions in this country, uh, doing construction work, uh, building new schools, roads and highways, water and sewer system treatment plants. Uh, in the energy field, building solar panels and wind turbines and old-fashioned pipelines, and in the public sector, some 70,000 members of the Laborers' Union, supporting working families, providing good jobs and good benefits for working families in America. We salute the members of LIUNA and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back with today's podcast. So Jonathan Carl, senior political reporter for ABC News and author of uh, the third, his third book on the Trump presidency, just out called Tired of Winning. And the subtitle is... Donald Trump and the end of the grand old party. So, uh, Jonathan, uh, I guess you have to give Donald Trump credit. You did earlier. He did win 2016. He also has totally remade the Republican Party, has he not? 
I mean, he he really has the uh, the party of Bush, the party of McCain, the party of Romney, the party of Reagan uh, is is it was a very different place, I believe, than uh, than the party of Trump. I mean, first of all, um, it's built much more so out of a cult of personality than any policies. Of course, the policies themselves, there are some policies. I mean, I, I think there is kind of a myth. You have people say, well, I like Trump's policies. I might not like his behavior. <laughs> well, what are the policies for God's sake? <laughs> right. uh, I mean, you know, there, there are some broad outlines, you know, don't touch entitlements. Um, build the wall. Uh, uh, build build the wall. Uh, throw tariffs on our on our allies and uh, and don't pay for their defense anymore. I mean, those are kind of like and also change the color scheme on Air Force One. I think was. But he's not in the weeds on any on any of 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 any policies. But but insofar you know as as there were policies, you know, strong, um, you know, Reagan's Reagan's foreign policy is about as far from what, where Trump is a, 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 as it could be. Um, and, you know, uh, policies on, 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 on spending and on immigration, he stands totally in contrast to where, you know, either Reagan or Bush were. So look, it, it's, it's, but, but it's more, it's more that the party is, is, has been built around a, uh, you know, an individual. Um, yeah. And the single most important characteristic is loyalty to that individual. Loyalty expressed, most importantly, uh, by a odd belief that the 2020 election, which was the most scrutinized election of our lifetime, was uh, was a stolen election. So we know the legal problems that Donald Trump has today. Ninety one federal. Uh, uh, accused of 91 federal dif- federal crimes, plus you've got the fraud trial in New York. E. Jean Carroll is still hanging out there, uh, the election fraud uh, alleged in Georgia. Do you believe, given all of that today, no matter what the polls say, do you believe Donald Trump will be the nominee in 2024, the GOP nominee? Uh, I, I, I don't believe that is a done deal. Uh, you know, he's obviously the front runner, um, and people talk about him like it's a done deal, like he's the presumptive nominee or almost like an incumbent running for re-election. Uh, I, Bill, I, I, I think there, I think there's a very good chance that that we're in for surprises, and the people that are assuming that it's a given that he's the nominee are making the reverse of the mistake that was made in 2016 when nobody thought he could win. Yeah. Uh, now, now people think there's no way he can lose, and I think it, it was obviously wrong the first time, and I think it's quite possibly wrong uh, this time. You know, you and I have covered; you've covered more than I have, but we, but we, we've both uh, covered uh, presidential primaries that go through twists and turns and surprises, and inevitable candidates end up being, you know, uh, uh, going nowhere. I mean, we could just throw out a you know a few names. I mean, Howard Dean comes to mind. Uh, and, and both. Yes. I mean, there there and are. Mike there are, <laughs> Yes, yes. Right. I mean, I mean, you could go through. You know, I will uh, in in honor of Rosalind Carter, Jimmy Carter. Um, so I, I, I think it's still uh, a long way to Iowa and New Hampshire. I've spent a, I've spent some time in Iowa going to Republican events, and. Um, I, you know, first of all, we, we know how difficult Iowa is to actually poll. So I've never really trusted Iowa polling. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the Des Moines Register poll was accurate with Obama, right? Uh, but it's it, it's 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 
a very tough thing to to pull. And I think there's real discontent among people who voted for Trump, Republican uh, voters in Iowa, who are tired of it all. And you know, what, one thing that's helped him is he's had such weak opposition. I mean, DeSantis. I mean, I just I was looking at this just just the other day to refresh my memory, and it was even more than I thought. But if you go back to a year ago, December, DeSantis in several polls was 20 points up on Trump. I mean, there yeah. was a there was a there was a Wall Street Journal poll, I think it was December 14th, that had DeSantis in the 50s, Trump in the 30s. I mean, he was he was on a on a downward trajectory. He was helped by two things. One, DeSantis turned out to be a, a deeply flawed candidate and running a, a deeply flawed campaign. And, uh, you know, he found a message in all the indictments, you know, mm-hmm. come retribution. Yeah. Yeah. So he had no message when he launched. There was no message. Given what we've seen in the first Trump, in the in Trump's four years, given what we've seen of Donald Trump in the two or three, two and a half years since, what can we expect were the opposite to happen? Were Donald Trump actually to get reelected? Pure revenge? What do you, how would you read it? Yeah, he would, he would, first of all, there, there would be no people around him that would be, uh, I guess what some might call the adults in the room. I don't know if that's the proper phrase, but the, you know, those who, who, who served him, but also tried to rein him in people like Jim Mattis and John Kelly, uh, people like the, the, the white house councils, McGahn and, and Cipollone. Um, there were, you know, people throughout the administration who were there, who, you know, they, they would try to massage his ego in the right way, but prevent him from doing some of his most destructive, uh, following his most destructive influences. They're all gone. Um, you know, I, I think if you look at project 2025, which is done out of the heritage foundation, which John McEntee is, is helping, uh, helping with, you know, th- there will be an effort to make sure that everybody that serves in that administration passes the loyalty test and, 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 a, and a much more stringent loyalty test than ever before loyalty to Trump, not the constitution, not the Republican party, loyalty to Trump. And they're going to try to upend the civil service um, and do this, not just with political appointees, uh, but with civil servants throughout the federal government. So um, (laughs) it it basically, the department of justice, the FBI, anybody who has almost shown any independence, right. uh, Will be on their target list. Yeah, uh, the IRS. I mean, you know, look, Trump would love to act in a way that uses all of those powers to destroy people who he feels are not loyal to him. And by the way, the people that I would be most worried about in the beginning uh, would would not be Democrats per se. This would be the Republicans who who stood up to him. I mean, you know, I think Bill Barr is probably at the top of the list, (laughs) you know? Yeah, right. Um, but, uh, you know, and I'm sure he'll, you know, he's, he's, he has said that he would go after the Bidens and I'm sure he, he would. Um, but but he's going to go after and, and he will use all of those powers. I mean, Sessions, Sessions, uh, you know, he, he, he went after Sessions when Sessions was still uh, the attorney general because the, uh, the those two Republican congressmen, um, um, uh Collins and uh, and Duncan Hunter uh, had been had been indicted and, and convicted going into the uh, 2018 
election. And that's because they committed crimes, you know, (laughs) but like Trump went publicly. How can you do this? This is going to hurt our chances in the midterms. Um, I mean, there's no reluctance whatsoever to use the Justice Department as a wing of the political operation. Barr didn't go along with that. Sessions didn't go along with that. The next attorney general in a Trump administration would go along with that. So in effect... Uh, they are promising to weaponize the federal government, right? Yes, which is yes, exactly so what they're exactly what they're accusing Democrats of doing now by going after Donald Trump. So, Bill, at least we have a committee set up in the House that can investigate this when it happens. You know, um, you know, like Jim uh, Jordan. Jim Jordan's going <laughs> to investigate this when it happens. Okay, final little nugget. I have to say, I've not I've not seen this reported before. Um, Donald Trump, among world leaders, he didn't get along with any of our allies, I think, but particularly Angela Merkel, he did not like, and she did not like him, right? Uh, And she made one comment to him, I'll let you tell the story, that Donald Trump either did or did not understand who she was talking about. Yeah, now now the the important thing about the story, which makes it all the more, like, telling, is that the story is told by Trump. So this is what (laughs) Trump tells people that Angela Merkel told him. And, and the person that recounted the, story, recounted the story to me was a Republican member of Congress, senior Republican member of Congress, very close to Trump, said that on two occasions, because you know he, he got a little defensive because Angela Merkel didn't really hide her contempt for Trump. So <laughs> Trump would say, you know, she actually really likes me. And she says to me, I get bigger crowds than anybody she's ever seen. In fact, she told me that there's been only one person in history who's ever gotten crowds as big as mine. Only one, (laughs) said the chancellor of Germany. Um, (laughs) And the congressman recounted the story to me. It's like, I'm thinking to myself, you know who she's talking about, right? Um, But, you know, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. So Donald Trump, Donald Trump took that to the bank, right? Yeah. Angela. Yeah. yeah. Angela really likes me. All right. Jonathan Carl, I said in the little book review that I did about your book, I want to repeat it again. I think it is so good that I would say it should be required reading by every voter before they walk into the polls in 2024. So um, well, from you, my Bill. lips to God's ears, I hope. <laughs> I, 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 I really, I wrote this book with urgency and I, I just hope that people understand what, you know, what it, what is truly at stake. Um, because I don't think there's been much attention to what I wrote about in, in this book about really where his head is at now and what it would be like if he came back to power. So I hope, I hope every single voter takes your advice, Bill. Um, <laughs> All right, Jonathan, again, congratulations. And thank you so much. For taking time for the Bill Press Pod today, we'll talk to you again soon. Great. Thanks, Bill. And that's it for today's podcast with Jonathan Carl. Again, the name of the book is Tired of Winning. I strongly encourage you to get your own copy uh, and read it. And (laughs) yeah, you'll feel as lucky as I did that we survived those four years. And God forbid that you ever get close to the Oval Office again. There's a link for you to get your copy uh, of Tired of Winning uh, in the episode notes to today's podcast. And with that, this is a big week in Washington. Everybody's back in town. The Senate's back. The House is back. President Biden is back. God knows what trouble they can go, uh, they can get into this week. 
but we'll be watching it all and wrapping it up with our roundtable, as always, on Friday. I know many of you tell me it's the part of the podcast that you like the best. So uh, have a great week, and then come back on Friday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod and our Friday Reporters Roundtable.